This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Midday sunshine streamed down as I crossed into Colorado, the SUV's engine humming like a hive of distant bees. I'd been on the road since California, the hours blending into one another, stealing away the sharp edges of my alertness. Every swig of caffeine or sugar from the snacks sprawled on the passenger seat felt like throwing pebbles at the looming wall of exhaustion, Urea. That was the name of the town I passed. The radio's voice turned into static, and cold air blasted from the vents, prickling my skin, trying in vain to keep me awake. I'll stop at the next motel, I promised myself, eager for a few hours of sleep. But the exit I chose seemed to lead nowhere. No gas stations, motels, or neon fast food signs just a winding road through the heart of the mountains. As I rubbed my tired eyes, the silhouette of a man appeared out of nowhere. There was no time to react or swerve on this tight mountain road. The impact is 45 miles per hour. I felt my heart race as the man's body hit the front of my car, smashed against the windshield, and then crumpled over the hood, leaving a sickening smear before tumbling onto the road. Panic took over as I skidded to a stop. In the rearview mirror, I saw him lying there, his skin pale as if all the blood had been drained. Questions fired in my mind. Should I call the police? Should I flee? I approached him. His skin bore brutal gashes that seemed more like deliberate carvings than injuries from the accident. They bled profusely, crisscrossing his body entirely. His limbs were at unnatural angles, defying human anatomy. And then, in a sight I will never forget, he began to move. Bones cracked and snapped. His limbs contorted as he began to rise. I watched in horror. His entire body seemed to twist and reshape. His head with an unhinged jaw and eyes open wide, he snapped towards me. Adrenaline spurred my feet back to the car. The engine roared to life, tires screeching as I tore away from the horror I had encountered. Only when I looked in my rearview mirror did I realize this was no man. It wasn't anything remotely human. It just looked like one. This thing or whatever the hell it was, started chasing after my car, its body grotesque and fast, moving in a manner no human ever should. Every nerve screamed at me to go faster. The miles slowly stretched between us, and it faded into the distance. Filled with pure terror, that encounter coursed through my veins to Indiana. Sleep, it seemed, would have to wait for another time. I floored it down the road until I saw a sign welcoming me into Indiana. When I reached the city, it was only then that I felt a sliver of safety for the first time in hours. Being amidst other cars and seeing the lights from buildings was, without a doubt, the best feeling I had ever felt. It's strange how much you come to appreciate life when your very existence is threatened. This encounter made me value my life much more, yet it also lessened my desire to travel. I can't even begin to imagine what that thing might have been. My only hope is that any person venturing down that road steers clear of it. Luck might not favor them as it did me. If ever you spot a figure, something resembling a man on that stretch, press on the accelerator and don't look back.
Suddenly we got a call from a nearby city police station. Our uncle, who was taking care of me and my sister while our parents were away, answered the phone. We were confused about why our uncle was crying until we learned the news. Our parents were found dead over 11 miles away from where they started hiking three days ago. I was horrified. I felt as if my world had just splintered into nothing, and my sister just fell to the floor while I just sat there, blank face and warm tears running down my cheeks. The sheriff was obligated to ask us where we wanted the funeral and other questions. Thankfully, my uncle pulled himself together and scheduled his brother and sister-in-law's funeral. The weeks flew by as the weekend was over, and I was left in a well of grief, still processing all that had recently happened. Eventually, we got another call, telling us that another piece of evidence had been found. We initially dismissed it until they told us that it belonged to our parents. As they told us, the more intrigued we were, until my uncle decided to drive us all down there. After all, all of us at least wanted to see their faces one more time. Since, mysteriously, the funeral was closed casket. Once we got there, we waited in the waiting room until a man guided us in. They said they had not yet reviewed the footage, and that when they found it, it was covered in blood and still recording even though it was damaged. Finally, we got to a room where they were ready to play the footage, and we all sat before the man who let us in started the video. At first, it was just my parents walking. We fast forward more walking, some fishing, picking up sticks, and skipping rocks. I was happy to see my parents again, even if it was just a recording. We watched the following video. My parents were walking but looked tired and anxious. Eventually, while they were resting, my mother broke the silence. Did you hear any of that last night? My father responded. Yeah, it sounded so odd, like it was directly in my ear, but also near a mile away. She gave him an agreeing nod. Eventually they kept walking, not breaking the silence until they camped. Do you think it will happen again? My mother asked. My father responded, It had to have been just some animal. No creature would follow us that far just to make some noises and not do anything to us. But what if it... My mother was cut off. Just trust me. We'll leave tomorrow and forget any of this happened. My father tried to reassure her. It worked. And they went to bed. On the third day, though, something was off. My mother no longer had her bright energy accompanying her, and my father seemed to suffer from sleep deprivation. It felt as though my parents were just husks of their former selves. And more ominous than that, there was a strange faint background noise constantly playing for the first three hours. Then it just stopped. My parents looked around and seemed to sigh and become way more relaxed. And then they stopped for a food break at a slight creak. It seemed reasonable until that noise started back up and louder than before. This caused notable dread in my parents, as the fear in their eyes was visible. They both ran away, leaving all their food behind, as the noise got louder. Eventually, my mother tripped, and her bone-chilling screams could be heard in the background, as the noise seemed to stop with her. After two hours of non-stop running, my father ended up in our backyard. I heard him sobbing uncontrollably. He was a mess just by the audio. He started to get it together and approach our house until the light around him seemed to wash away like fresh paint reacting to water. We sat there watching this overwhelming silence and darkness until a faint sound broke it, and it got louder and louder until it felt like my eardrums were about to pop. My father appeared back in the woods but was not alone. As he turned, a part of the screen seemed to warp and glitch out. My father looked at it and started screaming as the thing approached him in the blink of an eye. 
My father seemed to be crying as something was inserted into his mouth, and then it stopped when his bone snapping was heard. The GoPro fell onto the ground, and it filmed my father floating over the glitching part of the screen. Then, both seemed to phase out of focus and into nothingness. I was shocked by what I saw and everyone else in the room. My sister was pale, and my uncle looked utterly petrified. Finally, the police escorted us out. The drive home was silent, and we all seemed not to dare to speak a word because in the silence we all heard it, the faint sound of the thing that killed my parents slowly approaching. During my college years, a night of boredom and relentless curiosity, we were led to an unforgettable adventure with my friends Paul and Simon. Restless and seeking an escape from the mundane, we dove into the depths of the internet, scouring for a thrilling escapade to ward off our boredom. Little did we know, however, that this exploration into the unknown would take us to the very boundaries of our imagination, blurring the line between reality and the supernatural. As we delved deep into the cesspool of online legends and spooky tales, our restless souls were enticed by the lore surrounding an abandoned hospital nearby. Whispers of its haunted reputation reached our ears, luring us with the promise of the unknown. With our curiosity piqued and an insatiable desire to escape the monotony of life, we set our sights on that forsaken building, determined to uncover its secrets. The tales painted a vivid picture of a place forgotten by time, its walls echoing with whispers of the past. Shrouded in darkness, it stood as a testament to resilience and decay, beckoning adventurous souls to push the boundaries of their reality. Rumors of apparitions and strange occurrences only fueled our anticipation, blurring the line between skepticism and belief. Filled with a potent mix of excitement and fear, we embarked on our journey that fateful night. The moon cast an ethereal glow upon our path as we approached the crumbling structure its warped windows and crumbling facade a testament to the passage of time. A bitter breeze rustled through the overgrown foliage surrounding the building, adding an eerie soundtrack to our expedition. As we neared the entrance, the aura of the forsaken hospital enveloped us, sending shivers down our spines. The air felt heavy, charged with a palpable sense of anticipation. Our flashlights pierced the darkness, their beams cutting through the thick veil of night, revealing glimpses of the world we would soon be leaving. The atmosphere instantly weighed upon us as we cautiously entered the abandoned hospital. The worn linoleum floors creaked beneath our feet, echoing through the lonely halls. The air was stagnant, heavy with the scent of decay and the lingering memories of a bygone era. Our flashlights pierced the suffocating darkness, revealing the remnants of a once-bustling medical facility now lost to time. Each room held its secrets, a tapestry of forgotten stories etched into the peeling wallpaper and broken windows. With a mix of trepidation and curiosity, we ventured forth, mindful of the ghosts that whispered in the silence, driving us deeper into the mysteries of the haunting hospital. With trepidation, we moved from room to room, cautiously examining the remnants of the hospital's past. Each door we opened revealed a bygone era, frozen in time. Some rooms were filled with stacks of long-forgotten medical equipment covered in dust. Others held patient beds, their disheveled sheets hinting at the hasty departures of those who once sought solace within these walls. The dim beams of our flashlights bathed each room in an eerie glow, 
casting long shadows that danced upon peeling wallpaper and cracked ceilings. Every step further into the hospital yielded a sense of fascination and apprehension as we pieced together the haunting fragments of its history. Occasionally we stumbled upon remnants of the lives that had once filled these spaces. Old photographs, faded and weathered, provided a glimpse into the past. Smiling doctors and nurses, patients in various stages of recovery, all captured in moments that now felt trapped within the walls. The black and white images, now tinged with a haunting nostalgia, served as a reminder of the lives in these now desolate rooms. As we continued our exploration, we discovered a door slightly ajar that led to a staircase descending into the depths of the hospital. The musty scent that wafted from below only intensified our curiosity, drawing us further into the enigmatic unknown. With shared glances filled with both hesitation and determination, we decided to venture into the uncharted basement territory, uncertain of what awaited us. But one thing was clear. We were stepping into a realm where darkness intertwined with the past, and where answers, perhaps even more questions, awaited. As we descended into the murky depths of the hospital's basement, the air grew colder, dampness clinging to our skin with each step. The narrow stairway seemed to go on forever, leading us further away from the safety of the upper floors. Our flashlights struggled to penetrate the thick darkness, casting eerie shadows that danced along the damp walls. Unease settled in the pit of our stomachs, but curiosity pushed us onward. The basement was like a labyrinth of forgotten secrets, with corridors branching off in various directions. The faint sound of dripping water echoed through the passageways, adding to the sense of foreboding that enveloped us. A sudden piercing scream shattered the silence as we cautiously explored the underground maze. Panic surged through us like a lightning bolt, our fight-or-flight instincts kicking into overdrive. Without a second thought, we turned and sprinted back towards the stairway, our hearts pounding in our chests. The darkness seemed to close around us, our footsteps echoing with a frantic urgency as we desperately sought an exit. Fear clenched our throats, making breathing difficult, but the adrenaline propelled us forward, fueled by the dire need to escape this nightmarish hospital. We raced through the narrow hallways, and the thought of the unknown horror awaited us, propelling us faster and faster. The cold, damp air whipped against our faces as we strained to find any sign of an open door or a glimmer of light leading us to safety. As the inhumanly fast footsteps grew louder, a chill coursed through our veins, tingling with a mix of fear and anticipation. We glanced at each other, wide-eyed, the weight of our decision to explore this abandoned hospital now pressing heavily upon us. The echo of the haunting wail still lingered in the air, intensifying the sense of impending doom. Heartbeats thundered as we hurriedly scurried around, searching for a hiding place or an escape route. The flickering light from our flashlights cast eerie shadows on the peeling wallpaper, exaggerating the twisted figures that seemed to dance along the walls. The air itself felt charged, crackling with an otherworldly energy. In this moment of desperation, our gaze fell upon a nearby door, partially open. With a shared understanding, we silently approached it, hoping it would offer refuge from the approaching unknown. As we pushed the door open and stepped inside, relief washed over us. It was a small office, cluttered with disorganized paperwork and dusty furniture. The scent of old books mingled with the musty air. We quietly shut the door behind us, 
attempting to muffle any sounds that might betray our presence. As we huddled together, our hearts still pounding in our chests, we strained to listen for any sign of the inhuman pursuer. The footsteps had reached a crescendo, echoing through the corridors outside. There was a disturbing urgency to their rhythm, as if a relentless craving drove the entity behind them. Suddenly, the loud footsteps abruptly stopped, replaced by an eerie silence that was almost unbearable. Our breaths caught in our throats, apprehensive of what might come next. Every whispered creak and rustle of paper echoed like cannon fire in the stillness of the office, making our nerves stand on end. Time slipped away as we held our breath, waiting in the suffocating darkness. It felt like an eternity, the silence broken only by our hearts thundering in our ears. Every creak of the floorboards, every distant whisper of the wind, sent shivers down our spines, amplifying the tension that gripped us. Minutes turned into hours, or so it seemed, as we remained hidden, hoping that our pursuer would lose interest or move on to another part of the hospital. The anxiety and anticipation threatened to overwhelm us, but we clung to the flickering flame of hope lingering at the edges of our consciousness. Suddenly, the silence was shattered once more. It started as a distant shuffle, growing steadily louder with each passing moment. Heavy footsteps reverberated through the tightly packed space, the force of each step sending vibrations through the room, our hearts caught in our throats as we exchanged panicked glances. With bated breath, we waited, our bodies and minds on high alert. The footsteps paused just outside the office, and in that agonizing moment, time seemed suspended. The sound of our breathing seemed deafening, threatening to give us away. Then, as if by a miracle, the footsteps receded, growing fainter and fainter until they eventually faded into the distance. A sigh of relief escaped our lips, though we knew our ordeal was far from over. I cautiously exited the office, leaving our hiding spot, followed by Paul and Simon. The air was thick with tension as we moved, our footsteps muffled by the carpeted floor. Just as we began to believe that we had successfully evaded whatever danger lurked in the building, the sudden creak of a floorboard pierced through the silence. Panic gripped us as the sound echoed through the hallways, quickly followed by a symphony of approaching footsteps. Without hesitation, our survival instincts kicked in, and we broke into a sprint once more, adrenaline coursing through our veins. Every corner turned. Every door pushed open, propelled us closer to our only chance of escape. Fear fueled our movements, causing us to run faster than we ever thought possible, desperate to outrun the haunting echoes behind us. The abandoned hospital echoed with the haunting sound of pounding footsteps as we raced through the dimly lit hallways, our pursuer not far behind. Fear gripped our hearts, urging us to find an exit before the looming threat caught up. Adrenaline surged through my veins, propelling me forward. Each hallway seemed like a maze, with doors leading to dead ends and corridors stretching endlessly. The sense of panic threatened to consume me, but I fought to keep my focus, searching desperately for any sign of an escape route. We sprinted through the corridors, our breath ragged and bodies fueled by sheer determination. With every door we encountered, we anxiously checked for any glimmer of hope amidst the chaos and decay. The air inside the hospital weighed heavy with the scent of decay intensifying the growing dread that pressed upon us. And then, as if the universe granted us a reprieve, a dimly lit sign caught my eye. An arrow pointed toward the direction of an emergency exit, beckoning with a faint glimmer of hope. 
hope surged through our veins, fueling our determination to escape the clutches of this forsaken place. With a renewed sense of purpose, I rallied my friends, leading them toward the promising beacon of escape. Pushing harder and running faster, we navigated the treacherous hallways, passing broken stretchers and shattered windows as if each step brought us closer to salvation. Our pursuers' distant screams and thunderous footsteps pushed us onward, increasing the tempo of our desperate escape. The flickering lights above seemed to mirror the pounding of our hearts, fueling our drive to break free from the grips of impending doom. As we raced towards the exit, our footsteps pounding against the cold linoleum floor, my heart raced with the adrenaline coursing through my veins. Every breath burned in my chest as I pushed my body to its limits, running as hard as possible, driven by a primal survival instinct. Fear gripped me, urging me to put as much distance as possible between myself and the otherworldly creature that pursued us. As I glanced back, my trembling hand still tightly clutching my flashlight, I saw the creature illuminated in its eerie glow. My heart skipped a beat, and a shiver of terror coursed down my spine. The sight before me etched a haunting image into my memory, an idea I knew would haunt my dreams for years. The creature appeared as a twisted apparition from a dark and dreadful nightmare. It resembled a woman, but her form was broken and bent, her body contorted in unnatural angles that defied logic and reason. Her once beautiful features were marred by a grotesque distortion, her pale translucent skin appearing drained of life. Those vacant glassy eyes stared ahead, devoid of humanity or recognition, giving me the eerie sensation of being watched by something far beyond comprehension. Despite the sight that chilled me to my core, I refused to let fear consume me entirely. With every cell of my body screaming for me to stop, I pushed myself even harder, determined to outrun this monstrosity. The thrum of adrenaline pulsed through my veins, numbing the pain in my legs as I raced forward, my mind focused on the singular goal of survival. In an explosion of sheer willpower, we burst through the door, our bodies propelled into the open air outside. The cool breeze kissed our sweat-drenched skin, starkly contrasting the hospital's oppressive atmosphere. For a brief moment, the world seemed to hold its breath as we stood in the aftermath of our escape. As we caught our breath, relief and disbelief settled upon us. Silence enveloped our surroundings, broken only by the distant howling wind and the stark realization that we had evaded the clutches of the otherworldly creature. A sense of awe washed over me as I gazed back at the abandoned hospital, its windows shattered and its walls peeling, a testament to the dark secrets that would remain forever locked within its decaying confines. As we huddled together, our bodies trembling with exhaustion and relief, we knew that we had narrowly escaped the clutches of the abandoned hospital. The sense of camaraderie and shared survival transformed our ordeal into something that bonded us on a deeper level. We may have been basked in darkness, but the light of our resilience, unity, and a healthy dose of luck had guided us towards a new dawn. The hospital hallways seemed to stretch endlessly, a never-ending labyrinth threatening to consume us. But we would not surrender. We would not allow ourselves to be lost within those forsaken walls. With sheer determination and the strength of our collective spirit, we pushed forward, the pursuit behind us fading into the background as we raced toward the light of the exit, longing for the embrace of safety and the promise of a new day. Until the following weekend, that is.
The last golden glimmers of the sun painted the quiet streets of our small town. A soft evening breeze tousled my hair as I latched the leash onto Max's collar. My trusty golden retriever wagged his tail, eager to stretch his legs after a day indoors. We both loved our evening strolls. They were our routine, our moment of peace. With every step, the comforting tap of Max's nails on the pavement became rhythmic. But today, something felt different. I couldn't place it, but the stillness of the evening felt more pronounced, more pronounced than usual. We approached our usual route past the park, and the tall trees cast lengthy, twisted shadows across the lawn. But my gaze was instantly drawn away from nature's beauty when I spotted him, a solitary figure sitting on the park's weathered bench. He was oddly out of place. He seemed like an ink blot on a pristine page, dressed head to toe in black in a town where folks preferred plaid and denim. But it wasn't his attire that caught my attention. It was how he stared. He looked right at me, unblinking, with an intensity that made my skin crawl. It was as if those eyes were trying to communicate a message I wasn't sure I wanted to understand. Max picked up on my unease, his ears pinning back. He let out a soft whimper, pulling slightly on the leash. Easy boy, I whispered, patting his head while trying to maintain a casual pace. Every instinct screamed at me to escape the park and that man. And when I dared a glance back, my heart nearly stopped. The man had risen from the bench. Now standing, his silhouette was even more imposing, his gaze continuing to track me. Like a scene out of one of those thriller novels I'd occasionally pick up, I felt the weight of his eyes, watching, assessing. I felt the urge to run, but didn't want to draw more attention than necessary. So I walked faster, clutching Max's leash tighter, praying that I was overthinking this, that it was just another townsperson I hadn't met yet, perhaps lost in thought and looking my way coincidentally. But as the gravel crunched behind me in a consistent rhythm, it became crystal clear. He was following me. Max growled a low rumble that seemed out of place for such a friendly dog. It's all right, Max, I murmured, though it was more for my sake than his. My home was just a few blocks away. If we kept our pace, we'd be safely inside in no time. Turning the corner onto my street, the familiar sight of my quaint little house appeared. The porch light was on, casting a warm glow on the wooden steps, promising safety. I risked another glance back, and while I couldn't make out the man clearly in the dimming light, the absence of his shadow was both a relief and a mystery. Once inside, I locked the door and sank to the floor, Max nuzzling my face. Peeking through the blinds, I exhaled shaky when I saw the man's figure receding in the opposite direction. For a moment I thought the ordeal was over, but deep down, a nagging feeling told me this was just the beginning. I had always taken comfort in the familiar surroundings of my bedroom, the pastel walls adorned with old family photos and the quilted blanket, hand sewn by my grandmother, had always been a beacon of solace. But that night, the room felt alien, tainted by the day's unsettling events. Max was restless, pacing by the window, occasionally letting out a low growl. I tried immersing myself in a book, but every word blurred together, the eerie image of the man in black plaguing my every thought. As the clock ticked on, my eyelids grew heavier, coaxing me into an uneasy sleep. Just when the pull of dreams overshadowed reality, a soft, rhythmic tapping jarred me awake. The sound was faint, almost like the fluttering wings of a moth against a light. 
I strained my ears, hoping to dismiss it as just a figment of my heightened paranoia. However, the tapping grew louder, more insistent. Each tap seemed calculated, designed to resonate within the silent confines of my room. I glanced at Max, who was already fixated on the window, his fur bristling. I hesitated. The logical part of me wanted to brush it off as a stray branch or some innocent creature of the night. But every nerve in my body buzzed with tension, sensing something more sinister. Drawing a deep breath, I summoned the courage to approach the window. As I neared, the tapping paused, replaced by an oppressive silence. Taking a steadying breath, I gripped the curtain's edge and slowly peeled it back. And there he was. The man from the park, his features now hidden behind a ski mask, stood mere inches away from me, separated only by the thin pane of glass. The intensity in his eyes mirrored that of our earlier encounter, but this time, there was something else. Anticipation. I stumbled back, a scream trapped in my throat as Max barked furiously. The man seemed to relish in my terror for a split second before quickly retreating, leaving behind only the chilling trace of his presence. In a whirlwind of fear and adrenaline, I dashed to my parents' room, my voice a frenzied mix of words as I recounted what had just transpired. Their faces turned ashen, and within minutes, the familiar ring of the police hotline echoed in the room. As we waited, we discovered the ladder the man had used, propped against the house, providing access to my window. The implications made my stomach churn. A chill ran down my spine when we spotted the abandoned crowbar on the ground below, its purpose hauntingly evident. When the police arrived, their flashing blue and red lights cutting through the night's darkness, they took in the scene with grave expressions. Despite their best efforts to reassure us, it was evident. This man hadn't simply been stalking me. He had plans to get inside. The night dragged on with questions, photographs, and statements. The house, once a symbol of warmth and memories, now bore the shadow of the unknown threat. Sleep eluded me as my mind wrestled with a single burning question. Why? Why me? Why my home? What had drawn this man, this predator, into my life? Morning light did little to dispel the shadows that seemed to have permanently lodged in our home. Sleep had been fleeting, with the haunting image of the masked man outside my window visiting me in every nightmare. The town was abuzz with rumors, whispered speculations passing from one mouth to another, each more terrifying than the last. Police patrols had increased, their presence a constant reminder of the threat lurking just beyond our sight. They combed through every alley, every thicket, searching for any sign of the man. But days turned into weeks, and all they had were vague descriptions and dead-end leads. Support poured in from every corner. Friends dropped by with casseroles and comforting words. Neighbors set up a neighborhood watch, their vigilant eyes scanning the streets for any anomaly. But in the midst of this communal embrace, I felt more isolated than ever. Max, too, was on high alert, his cheerful demeanor replaced by a constant wariness. Our bond deepened in these trying times, our senses attuned to each other's fears. One evening, as I was trying to lose myself in the pages of a book, a familiar tapping sound cut through the stillness. My heart raced, a cold dread spreading through my veins. Max growled, his gaze fixed intently on the window. I approached it hesitantly, memories of our last encounter flashing before my eyes. Peering out, I saw nothing but the vast darkness of the night. The tapping had ceased, replaced by an eerie silence. Was my mind playing tricks on me? Was the trauma finally taking its toll? I decided to step out, needing to shake off the unease. 
The porch light cast a small pool of light, revealing nothing amiss. The streets were silent, the world seemingly holding its breath. Then, a whisper broke the silence. It was soft, almost inaudible, coming from the shadows just beyond the edge of the light. You can't hide, it hissed, dragging on in a chilling sing-song manner. Panicking, I turned back to the safety of my house, only to find the front door slowly creaking shut. Max barked furiously from inside, his cries growing distant as the door latched with a definitive click. Desperation surged through me. I pounded on the door, screaming for help. The whisper grew louder, closer. You can't escape! I scrambled to find an alternate entry, circling the house to the back door. To my horror, standing there masked as before was the man. He wasn't tapping or whispering now. Instead, he just stood there, silent and still, the moonlight reflecting off the sharp blade he held in his hand. Hard in my throat, I made a split-second decision and darted to the woods, my only thought to get as far away as possible. The trees enveloped me, their shadows thick and disorienting. I could hear him behind me, his steps measured and confident. As I ran deeper into the woods, I suddenly stumbled upon a clearing, and there, to my horror, stood multiple figures, all masked, all silently watching me. The man's voice, now clear and chillingly calm, echoed, You've finally joined us. The circle of masked figures tightened around me, their intentions clear. There was no escape. The terrifying realization hit me. This wasn't just one man's obsession, it was something much larger, much more sinister, and I was right in the middle of it. The old oak door to my office always creaked, a warning that someone was coming in. The sound itself was a reminder of the countless days spent within the confines of the university, but today that sound carried with it a certain magic. There she stood, Priscilla, with that half-smile of hers, her auburn hair loosely pulled back, those eyes shimmering with mischief. Got a moment, Professor? I swirled the contents of my cold coffee. For you, Priscilla? Always. She leaned against the desk, her fingers tracing the grain of the aged wood. Ever been to the Pennine Hills? I quirked an eyebrow, intrigued. For a city guy like me? No. Why don't we change that? Her voice dropped to a conspiratorial whisper. How about we run away together? Just for a little while? I chuckled. Run away? You make it sound so dramatic. She shrugged. Maybe it is, but it's a place I know, secluded, breathtaking, and I'd like to share it with someone who'd appreciate it. There was an earnestness in her tone, a genuine invitation, mixed with a challenge. I knew she wasn't just talking about camping. I'd always seen Priscilla as someone out of reach, like a puzzle with pieces missing, a mix of vulnerability and strength, youth and wisdom. Looking out the window, the campus green seemed a world away from the wild expanses of the Pennine Hills. Is this your way of telling me to step out of my comfort zone? Her grin grew wider. Maybe. The entire idea was ludicrous. I was two decades older, and she was my student. Yet the idea of a getaway was tempting. What harm could come from it? All right, I conceded, a grin forming. When do we leave? The journey took us through a patchwork of fields, villages, and then increasingly remote landscapes. The beauty of the Pennines was undeniable, but desolation was the word that came to mind as we trekked deeper into its core. Every so often, Priscilla would look back, her face breaking into a gleeful smile. Tired yet, Professor? We've barely started, I retorted, ignoring the twinge in my ankle. 
She vaulted a metal gate with ease, waiting for me on the other side. The vastness of the moorland stretched endlessly, and in the distance, wind turbines painted a modern contrast against the wild backdrop. It was silent, save for the distant cawing of crows and the howl of the wind. The terrain turned treacherous soon. My foot landed awkwardly, causing a sharp pain to shoot up my leg. You brought me out here to kill me, didn't you? I grumbled. She laughed, helping steady me. Not yet, Professor. The place I have in mind is a little further. Can you keep up? Her playful challenge was all I needed. Despite the discomfort, I followed, drawn in by the mystery of it all. As we set up camp that evening, the sun cast long shadows across the hills. The wind whispered tales of old, and for the first time in years, I felt truly alive. That night, with the canvas of our tent flapping softly, Priscilla whispered, Thank you for coming with me. I smiled in the dim light. The adventure's just begun. But neither of us realized just how true that was. The sun had barely broken the horizon, a faint orange glow turning the hills into a canvas of shifting shadows. Priscilla and I had a quiet understanding, a shared look, a touch, a secret smirk. As I stretched out, the pain in my ankle reminded me of the previous day's trek. I started up the portable stove, and soon the aroma of brewing coffee filled the air. Priscilla stirred in her sleeping bag, mumbling softly before sitting up with a start. She rubbed her temples. Had the oddest dream, Professor. Children's voices whispering outside our tent. I frowned, recalling the unsettling sensation I'd experienced in the night, a feeling I'd tried to dismiss. You heard them too? She nodded, her face pale. I thought it was just the wind. As we sipped our coffee in silence, I scanned the surrounding area. There was no one in sight, just miles and miles of heather and the distant wind turbines. We decided to take a hike that day. Despite the bleakness, there was an allure to this place. Priscilla led the way, pointing out hills and other landmarks. I nodded along, but the chill in the air made me wrap my jacket tighter. Midway through our hike, I paused to take out my binoculars. In the distance, four small figures appeared. Priscilla, look, I pointed. She squinted. Just some locals, maybe? We continued on our path, but a feeling of unease settled in. The rain began to drizzle, and soon the figures disappeared. Evening found us back at our campsite. As I set out our meal, Priscilla suddenly tensed, her eyes darting to the tent entrance. A voice broke the silence. Who's camping on my land? I got to my feet, finding myself face to face with a rugged man wearing a flat cap. Three children clung to him, their eyes wide with fear. There was an unmistakable resemblance. The man adjusted his cap, eyeing us suspiciously. Got a permit to be here? I cleared my throat, trying to keep my voice steady. Sorry, we weren't aware. My student here mentioned this was public land. The man grunted. Student, eh? Not causing trouble, I hope? Priscilla stepped forward, her voice firm. We meant no harm. We can pack up and leave. The man's demeanor suddenly changed his lips curving into a smile. Nah, it's all right. Just pull in your leg. But you scared my kids here. I glanced at the children, their faces still filled with apprehension. Apologies. We didn't mean to intrude. The man gave a curt nod. Just be mindful next time. With that, he and his children left, their figures slowly disappearing over the ridge. Priscilla and I exchanged glances. That was... odd. She shivered. Let's pack up tomorrow. This place feels off. I agreed. We climbed into our sleeping bags, but sleep was hard to come by. 
The wind seemed to carry those whispered voices again, more pronounced, more insistent. Professor, Priscilla whispered, her voice shaky. Do you hear them too? I nodded, pulling her close. Whatever was happening, we'd face it together. Morning dawned gloomy and gray. Despite the uneasiness of the previous day, I tried to shake off the feeling. Maybe we were just letting our imaginations run wild, but Priscilla's demeanor had changed. The vivaciousness I loved was replaced with quiet contemplation. I think I know a place, she whispered, poring over a map. There's a small cairn nearby. Might be a good spot to rest. I agreed, hoping a change of scene would lift our spirits. The hike was silent. Priscilla seemed lost in thought, pointing occasionally to some hill or a landmark. The air felt heavy, the overcast sky pressing down. When we arrived at the cairn, I felt an eerie stillness. These stones, stacked meticulously, stood as silent sentinels in this desolate landscape. Priscilla leaned against the cairn, her face pale. I've been here before, Professor, with my grandparents. They told tales of the children of the moor, spirits lost, searching for a way home. I frowned, remembering the whispered voices. You think there's some truth to it? She sighed. I thought it was just a story to keep kids from wandering off. But after last night, a chill wind blew making the heather dance. Priscilla wrapped her arms around herself. There's a legend about this cairn. It's said to be a beacon for lost souls guiding them. I tried to laugh it off. Old tales, Priscilla, meant to give explanations to the unexplained. She shook her head. I have a bad feeling, Professor. We should leave. Just then a mist started to roll in, enveloping the moorland. Visibility dropped, and a sense of foreboding gripped me. All right, let's head back. But the way back seemed distorted. The landscape, once familiar, now felt alien. Every direction looked the same. The whispers grew louder, more insistent. It felt as though they were right next to us. Priscilla clutched my arm. They're here. I shone the torch around, but all I saw was the swirling fog. No shapes, no shadows. Yet the feeling of being watched was undeniable. Suddenly Priscilla screamed, pointing at the ground. There, appearing and disappearing in the mist, were faint footprints of children. They seemed to circle us, closing in. Stay close, I shouted, pulling Priscilla with me. We needed to get out of this fog, out of this cursed moorland. As we trudged on, the whispers became voices, discernible words. Stay. Join us. Don't leave. I could feel my heart pounding, every shadow a potential threat. After what felt like hours, the fog started to lift, and the familiar shape of our tent appeared in the distance. Exhausted, we stumbled in, but the relief was short-lived. The tent flap rustled, and the farmer's voice cut through the silence. Leaving so soon? I turned, flashlight illuminating his gaunt face, but there was no sign of Priscilla. Panic gripped me as I realized she had vanished. The moors, with their ever-shifting mists and undulating landscapes, had always seemed like a different world to me. But now, with Priscilla missing, they felt like an unyielding maze. Where is she? I demanded, staring into the farmer's eyes, searching for any hint of deception. His cloudy eyes remained impassive. I warned you, he whispered. His voice graveled with age and wisdom. The Moors don't like visitors. Cut the riddles! Where is she? My voice echoed across the vast expanse, making the nearby birds scatter into the dreary sky. He took a deep breath. I've seen this before. People who don't respect the land end up becoming a part of it. A sinking feeling gnawed at me. 
I had to find her and quickly. Help me, I pleaded. He studied me for what felt like an eternity before nodding. There's an old stone circle east of here. It's said to be the gateway between our world and theirs. If she's anywhere, she'll be there. Without wasting any time, we set off. The farmer's pace was surprisingly fast, and his knowledge of the treacherous landscape was evident. Every so often, he'd mutter something in a language I didn't understand, making signs in the air. As we walked, I couldn't shake the feeling of unseen eyes on us, whispers brushing past my ears. The moorland was alive, watching our every move. After hours of trekking, we reached the stone circle. The stones, worn by time, stood tall and menacing. At the center was a flat stone altar, stained dark. My heart raced as I thought of what might have transpired there. The farmer spoke, breaking the silence. You have to call out to her, but be warned, the spirits might answer too. Swallowing hard, I stepped into the circle. Priscilla, I shouted. My voice echoed back to me, carried by the wind. I called again and again, each shout more desperate than the last. Suddenly, a soft voice whispered back, Professor? I whirled around. There she was, standing just outside the circle, her face pale, eyes distant. Relief washed over me as I rushed to her, pulling her into an embrace. But she was cold, her body rigid. Priscilla, I murmured, pulling back to look at her. Her eyes slowly focused on me, and she whispered, They want something, Professor. I glanced at the farmer who was watching us intently. What do they want? He sighed. A trade. A life for a life. I felt a chill run down my spine. What does that mean? He looked at me, sadness evident in his eyes. To save her, you might have to give up something or someone. Desperation clouded my judgment. I'll do whatever it takes. The farmer nodded solemnly. Very well. But remember, once the trade is made, it can't be undone. As the sun began to set, casting an eerie glow over the moors, I prepared to make the most challenging decision of my life. The cold was unbearable. With every passing moment, the moorland seemed to close in, the atmosphere growing heavy with anticipation. The farmer, with his ancient wisdom, stood outside the stone circle, observing silently. I'm ready, I said, trying to sound confident, but the quiver in my voice betrayed my fear. Priscilla, her form now more tangible, looked at me, her once bright eyes now clouded. Professor, I've seen them. They're not of this world. A shiver ran down my spine. Who are they? She hesitated, searching for words. Shadows, whispers, memories of those long gone. They roam these lands, searching for souls. The stone circle seemed to pulse with energy, the very earth vibrating beneath my feet. From the shadows, ethereal figures began to emerge, their forms flickering like old film footage. We seek balance, one of them hissed, its voice echoing through the chilly air. I took a deep breath. What do you want in exchange for Priscilla's safe return? The shadows seemed to move and merge, communicating in a dance of light and dark. After what seemed like an eternity, one of them spoke. A memory, a cherished moment, the best of your life given to us, never to be remembered again. My mind raced, trying to comprehend the gravity of the trade. To give up a memory, my most cherished one, felt like tearing away a piece of my soul. Priscilla's gaze met mine, her eyes pleading. Do it, Professor. Set me free. Gathering every ounce of courage, I nodded. Take it. Take my most cherished memory. A collective hiss of approval came from the shadows. One of the figures extended a smoky hand toward me. As it touched my forehead, 
I felt a searing pain, as if something was being pulled out of me. The world spun and I gasped, trying to recall the memory I'd just sacrificed. But it was gone, an empty void in its place. As the pain subsided, the figures retreated into the shadows, and the land grew silent. Priscilla, now solid and real, collapsed into my arms. We did it, I whispered, relief washing over me. But the farmer's grave voice interrupted our brief moment of reprieve. You've made your trade, but remember, this land is alive. It remembers. I frowned. What do you mean? He gestured to the horizon where dark clouds were gathering. The moors are ancient and they've seen many trades. Your memory will feed them, but for how long? A cold wind picked up, howling and carrying with it the whispers of a thousand lost souls. Priscilla clung to me, her eyes wide with terror. They're coming! The horizon darkened as a tidal wave of shadows surged towards us, their hungry cries echoing across the vast expanse. The stone circle, once a place of safety, now seemed like a trap. The farmer, his voice filled with resignation, murmured, The balance is never truly met. The moors always hunger for more. I held Priscilla close, realizing the horrifying truth. Our escape, our brief victory, had only angered the land more. The shadows closed in, their cold embrace promising an eternity of darkness. As the terrifying force consumed us, one thought rang clear. The moors never forget, and they never forgive. The world has a way of slipping through your fingers when you least expect it. The colors of a sunset, the vivid hues of a blooming flower, the nuances of an expressive face, all stolen from me. Glaucoma, a term I never thought I'd have to reckon with at 21. I used to take pride in picking the perfect shade of lipstick or matching my shoes with my outfits. Now I measure my world in decreasing percentages. Currently it stands at a mere 10%. 10% of blurry shapes of shadowed impressions, and in darkness, nothing. Sitting on the porch, I tried to memorize the fading outlines of our home, a comfortable space neither grand nor shabby, a place where every corner was etched in my memory, now more from touch than sight. My fingers grazed the railing, feeling the grooves and notches that came from years of wear. This tactile world was my new reality. Our neighborhood was as familiar as the back of my hand, a hand that had lately become my eyes. Children's laughter from the Johnsons next door. The scent of Mrs. Baker's pies wafting from two houses down. The soft hum of traffic from the main road. All sensory landmarks that helped me navigate my day. The door creaked open, breaking my reverie. Dad returning from his long shift at the hospital. He might have aged five years in the short span since my diagnosis. The weight of my condition etched deep worry lines onto his face. Hey kiddo, he called out softly, a warm smile in his voice. I turned towards the sound, offering a grin. Long day, Dad? He sighed. The usual, but it's all worth it when I come home to you. How was your day? I chuckled. The same. You know how it is? The kids at school keep me on my toes. Their questions about my sight never end. Dad settled next to me, his arm wrapping protectively around my shoulders. They're just curious, honey. It's a testament to your strength that you keep teaching. Keep pushing forward. I leaned into his embrace, drawing strength. It's them, Dad. Those kids. They don't pity me. Their genuine curiosity, their resilience, reminds me to push forward. Before he could respond, the distinctive ring of the house phone echoed. Mom's shift at the 911 dispatch was unpredictable. Calls at any hour were commonplace. 
Dad rose, planting a soft kiss on my forehead. I'll get it, probably your mother checking in. As his footsteps receded, I thought of the anchor that my parents had become. Their strength, their undying faith in me, their silent struggles. It fueled my determination to adapt, to conquer this darkness inch by inch. The soft chime of my phone disturbed my thoughts. Tiara, my lifeline in this shifting world, had texted. Her messages were always full of life, pulling me out of my introspective moments. Movie marathon tonight? Let's drown in some drama. I chuckled, typing back, only if we binge on popcorn and ice cream. Her reply was instant. Deal. See you at seven? Can't wait, I texted back. Life had thrown me a curveball, but in the grand scheme of things, I wasn't alone. The darkness might be encroaching, but with the love of my family, the loyalty of friends like Tiara, and the innocent wonder of my students, I had an army by my side. And with that army, I was ready to face anything. The slow hum of the ceiling fan created a soothing backdrop to our marathon night. Tiara and I sprawled out on the living room floor, an array of snacks spread between us. Every once in a while, my fingers would bump into hers as we both reached for popcorn. She'd laugh, and I'd playfully swat her hand away, relying on memory and our shared chemistry. She'd been my pillar through the toughest moments. Where others hesitated, Tiara just understood. Our bond had grown deeper, more intricate with my loss of sight. This episode, she whispered, leaning close. It's the one where Anna discovers her sister's betrayal. I felt her words more than heard them, the vibrations, the subtle shifts in her tone. Don't spoil it for me, I laughed. I want to experience the drama, Tiara giggled. Of course, of course, though I still find it a little weird watching TV with someone who, well, can't really watch. I nudged her with my elbow. Hey, I see in different ways now. It's all about the sounds, the story behind the dialogue, the emotions in their voices. As the evening wore on, Tiara painted the visuals with her words her description so vivid that I felt I was seeing it all. It was our ritual, my ears, her eyes. Together we made a whole. We reached the climax of the series, both of us hanging on to every spoken word, every background score. The emotions were palpable, and when the credits rolled, we were left with a bittersweet cocktail of satisfaction and sorrow. Tiara's sigh echoed my sentiments. Wow, she whispered. I didn't see that coming. I chuckled. Neither did I, in a manner of speaking. She playfully threw a cushion at me. Always the joker, huh? We cleaned up, the silence between us comfortable, reflective. You know, I began, nights like these, they make everything feel normal. For a few hours, I forget. Tiara squeezed my hand. That's what friends are for, right? To be the light in each other's darkness. I blinked away sudden tears. She had a gift, the ability to always say the right things. Thanks, T, for everything. She was silent for a moment. I should head out. Early day tomorrow. Her voice held a hint of regret. I nodded, escorting her to the door. We said our goodbyes, and I locked up behind her, letting out a sigh. The house felt emptier, the shadows more pronounced without her lively presence. I grabbed the leftover popcorn, wanting to wrap myself in the remnants of our evening. Shuffling to the kitchen, I decided to load the dishwasher and put on a podcast to keep me company. As I settled into the routine, the gentle chime of my phone signaled a message. Without looking, I knew it was from Tiara. I'm home, good night and thanks for the fun day, Siri read out loud. I smiled, comforted by her safe arrival. My podcast droned on, discussing strange occurrences a few towns over. 
While the event sounded intriguing, I couldn't shake the chill it brought. Maybe it was the contrast of the joyful evening with Tiara and the eerie stories. Shutting off the lights, I made my way to the living room, letting the familiar textures guide me. Curling up on the couch, I reached for the bowl of popcorn, the familiar crunch a reminder of the laughter and camaraderie of the evening. But as the house settled around me, I couldn't help but feel the weight of the oncoming night and the unpredictable darkness it brought with it. The stillness of the house amplified the quiet, rustling sounds outside. I'd always prided myself on my heightened sense of hearing, but tonight it felt like a curse. Every little noise drew my attention, an errant leaf, a bird shifting in its sleep. My ears picked up on them all, but then that distinct chime from my phone cut through the silence. My heart sped up. Not many people messaged me at this hour. Person detected backyard, Siri's voice mechanically droned. I frowned trying to make sense of it. A squirrel, perhaps? Or had Tiara forgotten something? Maybe she was trying to sneak back to surprise me. Shaking my head, I pushed those thoughts away. I knew she was home. She'd told me herself. Returning to my podcast, I felt a hint of unease but tried to focus on the storyteller's voice. Yet the night wasn't done with its surprises. Another chime, the same announcement. This time I couldn't brush it off. The safety of the four walls felt compromised. I paused the podcast, letting my ears stretch into the darkness, trying to discern any sign of movement. The pulsating silence was broken only by the rhythmic thud of my own heart. The system had never given false alarms before. I muttered a curse, reaching for my phone to call the security company, but the device chimed again before I could dial. Person detected backyard. Chills raced down my spine. This was no glitch. I knew it. Stumbling to the back glass window, I strained my ears, desperate for some clue, some sign that would either confirm my fears or put them to rest. The thick darkness clung to the glass, reflecting the dim lights from the living room. I pressed an ear to the window. A soft exhale on the other side made my heart jump. Someone was there, so close that I could feel their breath against the glass. Fear took over. My voice quivered as I dialed 911. The waiting tone felt agonizingly long. The familiar soft voice on the other end surprised me. 911, what's the address of your emergency? Mom? My voice cracked. The dread and familiarity intertwined, making it hard to breathe. It was a cruel irony that my mother, with her calming presence, was the one to take my distress call. I choked out the details, every second feeling like an eternity. The fear was punctuated by her composed voice, guiding me, offering solace. But as the lights blinked out, plunging the house into abyssal darkness, even her soothing words couldn't stave off the rising panic. In the pitch black, my world shrunk further. My every step was hesitant, each moment tense. My mother's frantic guidance in my ear was the only tether I had to sanity. But as I tried to navigate the familiar yet suddenly foreign terrain, a cold realization dawned on me. I hadn't locked the front door after Tiara left. I relayed my thoughts to Mom, her voice echoing my dread, urging me to hide, but some primal instinct propelled me to the door. I needed to lock it, to secure my sanctuary. But just as I reached for the latch, a sinister voice, cold and taunting, sent fresh waves of terror coursing through me. The question remains, though. Did you just lock me in or out? The uncertainty was the worst part. The not knowing. But there, on the precipice of my darkest fears, I realized that sometimes, 
The monsters we imagine are far worse than the ones that lurk in the shadows. I was paralyzed in the spot, his chilling voice echoing in my head. My hands trembled as I reached out, fingers brushing the cool metal of the door handle, in or out. The thought played on a loop, consuming my mind. Then a thud, distant but unmistakable. The sound reverberated through the silence, snapping me back to reality. It was coming from the back. My initial instincts had been right. The intruder was still outside. My mom's urgent whispers in my ear brought back the gravity of the situation. I needed to move, to find a hiding spot. Under the bed, in the closet, anywhere. Her voice pitched higher with panic, but it was a controlled kind of panic, one shaped by years of handling crises. With slow, calculated steps, I started moving upstairs. The familiarity of my home worked in my favor as I navigated through the darkness, the memories of each nook and corner guiding me. I made my way to my room and slid under the bed. The space was tight, my breaths shallow. The world felt smaller from down there, and the weight of my vulnerability pressed hard against my chest. A muffled thud echoed from downstairs, followed by the creak of a door. The intruder had made it inside. My heart raced, threatening to burst out of my chest. Time felt suspended in that dark void under the bed. Each second stretched into an eternity. The house was silent save for the distant footsteps which grew louder with each passing moment. Suddenly my phone vibrated with an incoming call. I stifled a scream, covering the glowing screen with my hand. The glow seemed almost blinding in the pitch darkness. Damn, I whispered, ending the call and silencing the phone. But the damage was done. A shadow loomed at the doorway. My breath caught in my throat, and I forced myself to lie still, praying the intruder wouldn't notice me. The room remained in tense silence. Moments ticked by. It felt as though the intruder was sniffing the air, sensing for a sign of life. And then the unexpected sound of sirens in the distance. Their wailing grew louder, piercing the silent night. The intruder hesitated and then retreated hastily. I held my breath, waiting, listening. The footsteps grew fainter until they disappeared altogether, and the sirens grew closer, more insistent. It felt like hours before I finally dared to crawl out from under the bed. My limbs stiff, my body soaked in sweat. The red and blue lights flashed through the windows, painting the walls with an eerie glow. Voices outside grew louder as officers approached the house. I stumbled downstairs, unlocking the door and letting in a rush of cool night air. The first officer that entered was a familiar face, Officer Daniels. He had once given a safety talk at my school when I was younger. You okay? He asked, concern evident in his eyes. I nodded, still in shock. The reality of the night's events was beginning to sink in. As the officers scoured the house, they found no trace of the intruder, just a lingering sense of unease that would forever mark this home. But what they did find, chillingly close to the back door, was a mask and a knife, glistening ominously in the flashing police lights. Days became a haze after that night. The police combed every inch of the house for evidence, their gloved hands turning over our personal items as they searched for prints or clues. The air in the house felt different, tainted, as though the intruder had left a part of his darkness behind. I kept reliving that night. Every creak of the floorboards, every rustle outside made me jump. Sleep was elusive. Nightmares of the man's eyes glistening with malice in the dim light of our living room haunted my dreams. Officer Daniels came by often, updating us on the investigation. They had no leads. 
The mask and knife they found were clean. No fingerprints, no DNA. It was like the intruder was a ghost. I'd sit on the porch for hours watching the world go by, finding solace in the chirping of the birds and the distant hum of the neighborhood. A constant stream of friends, neighbors, and well-wishers came by, offering support and comfort. One such day, as the evening light painted the sky in hues of pink and gold, Tiara sat next to me. We'd been through so much, shared so many memories, but this silence between us was a new one. It was a silence filled with understanding, with shared pain. I keep thinking, she whispered, breaking the silence. What if I had stayed a little longer, or if I'd remembered to lock the door behind me? I squeezed her hand. You can't blame yourself. We can't live our lives wondering about the what-ifs. She sighed, resting her head on my shoulder. You're stronger than I gave you credit for. I chuckled softly. I have to be. The world didn't stop because I lost my sight, and it won't stop because of this. But it doesn't mean I'm not terrified. We sat like that for a while, drawing strength from each other. The world felt a little less heavy with her by my side. The next week, Officer Daniels had some news. They'd found the intruder, a man with a string of burglaries and a few assaults to his name. They'd caught him attempting to break into another house, wearing the same mask. Relief flooded over me, but it was bittersweet. The knowledge that he was behind bars brought a semblance of peace, but the scars of that night remained. Life slowly began to return to normal. I returned to work, facing my young students with a renewed sense of purpose. Their innocent questions and wide-eyed wonder served as a balm for my wounded soul. Months later, I stood before a gathered crowd, sharing my story. The room was filled with people from all walks of life, each with their own tales of resilience. As I recounted that fateful night, the terror, the uncertainty, I also spoke of hope, of the human spirit's ability to rise above adversity. The applause was warm, but it was the faces in the crowd that stayed with me, faces etched with understanding, with empathy. In sharing my story, I'd found a community, a sense of belonging. And as I stepped off the stage, Tiara's proud hug enveloping me, I knew one thing for certain. While darkness might momentarily cloud our lives, it's our inner strength, our bonds with those around us that lights our way forward 